Are you ready? Let me say it first. You repeat it after me. John. My name is Tim Lemire, and I love the Beatles. I also love language. I'm a writer, editor, and author, so language is my livelihood. Why not put the two together for a podcast where I use the Beatles music to talk about the English language? This is the Beatles English. Episode 4. What did we do that was wrong? She's leaving home. Paul McCartney gets applause and accolades the world over for Beatles songs such as The Long and Winding Road, Let It Be, Yesterday, Blackbird, and Hey Jude. And deservedly so. Those are terrific songs, and they're signature songs for Paul. They're staples of his live shows and guaranteed crowd-pleasers. In today's episode of The Beatles' English, I want to talk about a song of Paul's that, in my opinion is better than any of the aforementioned songs and does not get enough attention or respect. In fact, I think it is Paul's highest achievement while in the Beatles as a songwriter and composer. Big surprise, as you can tell from the title of this episode, it's She's Leaving Home from the album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Now, I'm not alone in thinking highly of She's Leaving Home, The American composer Ned Roram told Time magazine in 1967 that She's Leaving Home was the equal of any song by Franz Schubert. He was not joking. In our previous episode of The Beatles' English, we explored John's song Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite, which John was inspired to write after seeing and purchasing a Victorian-era circus poster. Paul was reportedly inspired to write She's Leaving Home after seeing an article in the British newspaper The Daily Mirror about a 17-year-old British girl who ran away from home. In that article, the girl's parents said they had no idea why their daughter had run away because, in their view, they had given her everything money could buy. Monday's child is fair of face Tuesday's child is full of grace. Wednesday's child is full of woe. Thursday's child has far to go. Friday's child is loving and giving. Saturday's child works hard for his living. And the child that is born on the Sabbath day is bonny and blithe and good and gay. This is a rhyme for children, first recorded in a British volume called Traditions of Devonshire in 1838. Now, whether Paul was thinking of this rhyme when he wrote She's Leaving Home, we do not know. But it is nevertheless appropriate that the song should begin where it does. Wednesday morning at five o'clock as the day begins. Wednesday's child is full of woe. The title she's leaving home, is in the present progressive tense. The word leaving 
here is a present participle, a verb base, leave, plus ing. In the first verse of this song, we get a lot of present participles, closing, leaving, clutching, turning, stepping. The repetition of these ing words creates an internal rhyme to the lyrics, and it also gives us listeners the feeling that we are watching the action unfold in real time. There the girl is, turning the key, clutching her handkerchief, stepping outside. Perhaps, in addition to the feeling that we are witness to the unfolding action, it also gives us the feeling that we are powerless to stop it. Now, Paul might have used the past tense in describing the girl's actions. She closed, she left, she clutched, she stepped. But instead, the present participles suggest something unresolved about these actions. They are not hard and fixed in the past tense. They sound ongoing, never finished, never resolved. I'll come back to that point. Quietly turning the back door key Stepping outside she is free I have to give a language shout-out here to Paul for deciding to write clutching her handkerchief instead of holding her handkerchief. The etymology of the word clutch is from German and Old English to close the hand, to crook or bend. To say that she clutched her handkerchief suggests that she is holding it very tightly in sorrow. But also, that hard C and CH sound of clutch goes with kitchen and handkerchief. So, closing, clutching, turning, stepping. We should note the grammatical difference between a present participle and a gerund. Both are verb forms that end in ing, but a gerund is a verb that functions as a noun. Loving sounds like a verb, but when used in all my loving, I will send to you, it is a noun. Loving, in that sense, is a gerund. In our second verse, the part where the mother awakens and finds the note, we get lots of present tense verbs, snores, gets, picks, breaks, and cries. Now, it's true that when we are shocked or surprised, we feel ourselves thrust into the present moment. And this is a tense moment, the present tense. Another language shout-out to Paul. Note that the mother picks up the letter, then breaks down. Nice touch. In the third and final verse of the song, Paul sings... Friday morning at nine o'clock she is far away Waiting to keep the appointment she made Meeting a man from the motor trade There's a bit of Beatles trivia that the referenced man from the motor trade, what we in America would call a car salesman, is a reference to a fellow named Terry Doran, who was a friend of the Beatles and himself involved in the motor trade. The first Beatle to own a car was George Harrison, a blue Ford Anglia sold to him by Terry Doran. For the record, 
Paul McCartney has denied that he was thinking of Terry Doran when writing She's Leaving Home. In the first verse of this song, our girl is leaving, and in the final verse, she is waiting. I come back to my point that the use of the present participle, an ing word, suggests something that is unresolved. We never find out if the girl who's leaving home ever meets up with this man from the motor trade. She is waiting for him, always waiting every time we sing the song. She reminds me in this respect of a poem by British Romantic poet John Keats, who was born in 1795 and who died in 1821 at the age of 25. Coincidentally, Paul McCartney's age, the year Sgt. Pepper came out. In 1819, John Keats wrote a poem called Ode to a Grecian Urn, in which the poem's speaker is looking at a pair of male and female lovers in a pastoral scene on an urn. The male figure is leaning to kiss the female figure, and Keats writes, Bold lover, never, never canst thou kiss, though winning near the goal. Yet do not grieve, she cannot fade. Though thou hast not thy bliss, forever wilt thou love and she be fair. In plainer language, it's a pity you can't ever kiss that girl, but on the plus side, you will never lose her either. She'll never grow old, and neither will you. The girl in She's Leaving Home reminds me of those figures on Keats's urn. She is forever frozen in time, waiting, waiting for the man from the motor trade who never arrives. We assume, of course, that the man from the motor trade is the girl's lover. That's a fair assumption, but the lyrics do not indicate that. In fact, if we take a close look at the language of the song, she is far away, waiting to keep an appointment she made, meeting a man from the motor trade. We don't know if the appointment is to meet the man from the motor trade, or whether she is waiting to have an appointment after having met a man from the motor trade. That ambiguity has led some Beatle fans to speculate that the girl's appointment is to get an abortion. That certainly adds to the pathos of the song, but the lyrics do not indicate that at all. Now, my mother, who was very instrumental in nurturing in me my love of books and language, used to tell me, pay attention to what people say, but pay more attention to what they don't say. Many times in art, omission and indirectness can be very powerful, very suggestive. The lyrics don't reveal why the girl is leaving home, and the voices of the parents, sung by John Lennon, indicate that they don't know why she left either. Why would she treat us so thoughtlessly? How could she do this to me? What did we do that was wrong? According to Paul, the inclusion of the parents' perspective was John's idea and contribution to the song. 
Now, there are four characters in She's Leaving Home. Two parents, a young girl whose age is unknown, and the man from the motor trade whose age is unknown. No one has a proper name, first or last. Of course, this makes the situation and the song more universal. The father in the song is referred to by three identifiers. Father, father snores as his wife, husband, and cries to her husband, and daddy, daddy, our baby's gone. That last one probably sounds strange to us today, that a wife would call her husband daddy, but in generations of the past, this was not uncommon. I myself had an aunt and uncle born before the Great Depression, and my uncle always addressed my aunt as mother. Mother, is the coffee ready? They identified themselves so deeply with their roles and responsibilities as mother and father, they addressed each other as ma, pa, or papa. The female parent in the song is referred to as the father's wife, she is never called mom or mother. So, is the mother absent in this family? Is this part of the reason why the girl ran away? We also never see the father wake up. For all we know in the lyrics, he stays asleep. Perhaps that too is part of the problem here. Now, whenever I hear the lyrics, we never thought of ourselves, never a thought for ourselves. I think, uh, these parents protest too much. All parents think of themselves to some degree. But in their moment of grief, the parents see things starkly in absolutes, not in shades of gray, as we are all prone to do when we're upset. Whatever the problem was between the girl and her parents, it was, as Paul sings, something inside that was always denied for so many years. We don't know the problem because it was never expressed, perhaps never given a name. Again, what is not said in the song is just as powerful and as poignant as what is said. I noted earlier that Paul was originally inspired to write She's Leaving Home after reading about a runaway in the newspaper The Daily Mirror. The name of that runaway was Melanie Coe, C-O-E, and in a coincidence that strains credulity, <laughs> Melanie had been on British television on October 4, 1963. She won a lip-syncing competition on the program Ready, Steady, Go. The judge of the lip-syncing contest was none other than Paul McCartney. The Beatles were making their first appearance on Ready, Steady, Go. Listen to this clip, which you can find on YouTube. A terrific performance from four would-be Brenda Lee as well. I wonder if our panel of judges has made up its mind and is unanimous. Oh, yes, it has. It is. It, it has. Is, it, yeah. Yes. Paul, uh, who's it going to be? I think the winner, uh, as far as I'm concerned, number four. Number four, Melanie Coe. Here's <laughs> the prize, Melanie, the LP from Paul, and all our congratulations. Very well done.
She's Leaving Home ends with one of John and Paul's favorite devices, the homonym. That is, two words that sound alike, but which mean different things. An early example from John would be, please please me, please, making a request, and please, to gratify or give pleasure to. In the song Come Together, John sings, got to be good-looking because he's so hard to see. Perhaps good-looking in the sense of having good looks, but also good-looking in the sense of keeping a good lookout. Paul is fond of this device, too. In his song, You Won't See Me, one of several songs about two people who don't communicate very well, Paul sings, When I call you up, your line's engaged, which is a British way of saying the line's busy. But given that the song is about two lovers having difficulty, it's hard not to think that the only thing around here that's going to be engaged is the phone line, not the male and female. She's Leaving Home ends with, We struggled hard all our lives to get by, echoed by John singing, Bye Bye. Paul picks this up again with his song, Junk, which he had wanted for the Abbey Road album. Bye Bye, says the sign in the shop window. Why, says the junk in the yard. Now the Beatles have four songs whose lyrics include the word goodbye. Obviously, Hello, Goodbye, I'll Be Back, Ticket to Ride, and The Night Before. And if you want to count one more, Paul seems to improvise the word goodbye at the end of the song, Two of Us. We have many words and phrases to signal departure or to bestow a parting benediction. See you later. See you around. Later, dude. Catch you later or so long. Bye-bye is something we say to children or encourage children to say. Adults say bye-bye to each other, but we say it more quickly. Bye-bye. Or we say it sarcastically. Bye-bye. We often say bye or bye-bye because somehow goodbye feels final, like we're never going to see the person again. I certainly don't end a phone call telling someone goodbye and come to think of it, I very rarely say hello anymore because the caller ID allows me to see who's calling. The word goodbye dates back to the 16th century and is a contraction of the phrase God be with you. In 1969, Paul wrote a song with this title, Goodbye, for the singer Mary Hopkin. Now, before I say goodbye, a reminder. My name is Tim Lemire. You can find episodes of The Beatles English on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to and download each episode from my website at timlemire.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other Beatle people to find it. And whatever happened to Melanie Coe? the British girl who ran away from home when she was 17? Well, her parents tracked her down. She was living in London with a man who, as it happens, did work in the motor trade at one point. Melanie's parents forced her to come home, but it didn't last. Melanie got married at age 18 and moved out. 
That marriage didn't last, so she went to California to try to be an actress. There, she briefly dated an actor named Burt Ward, who played Robin in the 1960s TV version of Batman. Melanie Coe is still alive at this broadcast and has two children. No doubt she gives her children most of her life and sacrifices most of her life. That's what good parents do, or try to. My name is Tim Lemire, and this is The Beatles English.